This is John White with Stories from the Revolution, and this is episode number five. Um, my intent with these podcasts is uh, kind of two things. Um, I envision some of the stories being interviews that I do, like what I did with episode four with Colleen Kasky, uh, real people telling their story of the paradigm shift that God has moved them through. So I expect to have lots more of those kinds of stories. But then other episodes are going to be things that we've learned along the way in this revolution. And that's what this one's going to be. This particular episode, I'm going to entitle The Leadership Solution, and it's going to be number one. There are more of these coming uh, in the future. Um, So part of the paradigm shift that I think God has us in the middle of has to do with leadership. But to uh, explain this particular idea, this uh, paradigm shift with leadership, I need to give you some history. So in the early 2000s, maybe 2001, somewhere in there, um, I was already uh, involved with House Church. uh, And one day, a fellow named Kenny Moore called me up. And he said, uh, he said he'd like to buy me breakfast. And so Kenny and I got together. Turned out Kenny was in charge of church planting for the Southern Baptist for the state of Colorado. And he said, when we got together, he said, um, he said, you know, the way that we've been planting churches is just insane. That's the word he used. I still remember it. The idea that you, you have to buy land, um, build a building or rent a building and get some sort of really educated person. You know, it works occasionally, but it's not a very effective way to plant churches. I'm really interested in house church. Can you tell me what you've learned? We were early in the process. We knew a few things. And so Kenny and I began to get together and um, I would share with them the things that we were learning about about starting uh, house churches. So we became friends, and um, along the way, uh, this is about October of 2002, we were talking about the idea of church planting movements, CPMs. That was kind of a beginning to be a big deal. These were starting to happen in different places around the world. And we started thinking about, well, how could we see a church planting movement take place in Colorado? And uh, Kenny was probably even more skeptical, maybe even a little bit cynical than I was. We'd both been around church for a long time. We'd seen all kinds of different gimmicks and programs and plans. And we really weren't interested in doing those kinds of things. We also knew that a critical part of church planting was the whole issue of leadership. If you have the right leaders, really everything else is pretty easy. But how, how could this actually happen? Well, one day I kind of had this thought, this spontaneous thought, epiphany, if you will, that came to me. What if we experimented with what Jesus told his disciples to do in Luke chapter 10, verse 2? So in this particular verse, um, Jesus starts out saying, um, the fields are white into harvest. The problem is not in the harvest. The fields are wet into harvest, but the laborers are few. The problem is lack of leadership, lack of laborers. And then the second part of verse 2, he says, Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest 
to send forth workers into the harvest. And, and I had this thought, what if we experimented with just that little commandment that Jesus gave, this little instruction about prayer? What if we took that seriously? And I said, so Kenny, how about if you and I decided that we would pray this prayer together? Um, maybe we could do it every day for a week, being great, great men of faith. And he he said, sure, let's try it. Let's let's try praying this prayer. We got about two days into it, and we would we would call each other on the phone and pray over the phone. And we got about two days into it, and it dawned on us that we had no idea how to pray this prayer. I mean, is this just like Okay, Lord of the Harvest, John and Kenny here, would you send forth workers into Colorado? Is that it? Is that all there is? What occurred to us is that we should add a second prayer to that, and that was, Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray this prayer. Well, as we began to do that, the Holy Spirit began to teach us. He began to coach us, and and we learned issue, situation, insight after insight, literally over the next year, we we, we continued praying together <clears throat> on almost a daily basis. And, and the Lord kept teaching us things about this. So for instance, um, beseech, beseech the Lord of the harvest. What is that word beseech? And we, we learned that it was an aorist imperative and that was significant. I'm not going to get into all these things in this particular podcast. But, you know, workers, what kind of workers are we supposed to pray for? What is their work? We begin to come to a conclusion that Luke chapter 10 really gave us Jesus's strategy for the fulfilling of the Great Commission. You know, how is it that you make disciples disciples of all the nations or people groups? And that this prayer was really at, at the heart of it. Well, one of the insights, one of the things that the Holy Spirit had us focus on is a, one particular phrase in this prayer, beseech the Lord of the harvest to thrust out workers. And he directed our attention to this word thrust out. And uh, we looked it up in the Greek. The word in the Greek is ekbalo. Balo, B-A-L-L-O, means to throw or cast. And the word ek simply means out. So we are beseeching the Lord of the harvest to ekbalo, to thrust out workers. Well, what exactly did that mean? Um, the first thing we did is we began to dig into the word ekbalo in the Greek. And it turns out that it means to cast out, to drive out, to send out, often with the notion of violence, as in casting out demons. This is where the word was used most frequently, was casting out demons. It means to uh, compel one to depart. It can mean to draw out with force, to tear out, to extract. All of those were meanings of the Greek word ekbalo. And uh, I wanted to give you three passages from Mark that illustrate this. So uh, Mark 1.12, uh, we read that immediately, this is speaking of Jesus, immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. Impelled is ekbaloed. It's a forceful, the Spirit forcefully moved Jesus out into the wilderness, ekbalo. Mark 1.34, it says, And Jesus healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. There's that word, ekbalo. He cast out many demons. He drove them out. Here's one more. And by the way, the casting out of demons comes up lots of times in Mark. Mark 11.15, 
Uh, it says, they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturning tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. So drive out. Jesus was ekbaloing these people uh, out of the temple. So as we looked at this word, Kenny and I, it was actually sort of shocking. Uh, this same word that was used to drive out demons, for instance, uh, forceful, really even actually violent in some places, is what we were supposed to pray, asking, beseeching the Lord of the harvest to do for workers. Wow, that, that put a new spin on things. By the way, this word balo in the English, we get the word ballistic from this. So ballistic has to do with launching a projectile. Uh, if you launch a missile or a bullet, um, or sometimes we talk about somebody getting really angry, they went ballistic. So again, it conveys the idea of a lot of emotion, a lot of, of even sometimes even, even violence. So uh, as we continue to meditate on this word, asking the Holy Spirit to teach us, a question came up, what are we ekbalowed from? What are these people going to be ekbalowed from? And we understood that people could be ekbalowed from a lot of things. They could be ekbalowed from a, a job or a place, a physical location. But most often, it seemed that people were ekbalowed from a paradigm, from a particular way of thinking about things. And so it really made sense. This is part of the revolution that we think that we are in the midst of right now. There's a major revolution, a major paradigm shift going on uh, in how we, how people think about the church and about the kingdom. Let me give you a couple of examples of Akbalo. Probably the most dramatic one in scripture is the story of Saul in Acts chapter 9. Um, now remember, Jesus has instructed his disciples to pray this prayer. He does it in Matthew, Matthew 9, 38, gives them that instruction. And then in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, we call it uh, 10 to B, because it's the second part of that prayer. So the assumption is that the disciples actually started doing that. They're praying this prayer. They're beseeching the Lord of the harvest. And uh, one of the most, maybe the most important and dramatic examples of Saul, Acts chapter 9, Again, the disciples are praying this prayer. This is probably the most unexpected tend to be answer you could imagine. Here's what verse one says. Meanwhile, this is describing the old paradigm that, that Saul was in. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, any of these Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's the paradigm he's living in. And you know the story. Um, he's, they're riding along on his horse, and it says he saw this great light. He was blinded. He was knocked off the horse. He heard Jesus. A lot of things go on from there. He ends up being discipled by Barnabas. But he becomes... The paradigm has shifted from church persecutor to apostolic church planter. Dramatic, violent even. And I think that's exactly what Jesus had in mind in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 2, part B. I experienced being ekbalowed in, in my own story. 
So um, as I've mentioned, I was a pastor of traditional churches for about 25 years. Um, and in that process, we eventually planted a church and uh, it was it was going really well. There were a number of circumstances that occurred. Um, I won't go into all the details right there. But on one nice spring morning, I think it was April of uh, 1998, long story, but really because I was committed to this idea that when the church comes together, that um, uh, everyone participates, this became controversial among some other leaders in the church. And the end of the story was on that day, April in 1998, I was fired from my own church. Um, it was a horrible experience. Uh, it was traumatic. It was confusing. Um, but I know now, I can look back and see that basically what God was doing was ekbaloing me from traditional church ministry. I was very comfortable in that, fairly successful in that. I probably still would be there if I had not been fired from my church. That's what moved me into the whole house church world. Well, we've heard story after story about people that are ekbalod, and they're all different. Some are, are more gentle, some are slow, some are fast. I remember one lady saying to me, she was like a leader in the women's ministry in a church, and she was literally sitting in the pew one Sunday morning, and she felt like she heard the Lord say to her, leave. You need to leave the church. She had no idea what that meant, but she knew that that was the Lord, and so she left. She stopped going to church. The pastor met with her. What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. God just told me to leave. Ekbalo. All right. Let's talk about some of the implications of this idea of praying the 10 to be prayer. Uh, number one, um, we need to think about what the old leadership paradigm is. Again, paradigm shift, old to new. What did the old paradigm shift look like for me? Well, it really meant that it was my responsibility as a pastor to figure out a great marketing strategy for our church. How do we get the word out there? Uh, radio, TV, social media, go door to door, uh, teach classes on evangelism, all kinds of things. It was my job as a church leader to come up with a great strategy and then implement that strategy. Another place that you came up with strategies is you paid attention to what other people were doing. Um, and so you you were always looking for some successful program. Um, and and maybe you can import that. You'd go to seminars and you'd, uh, you, you know, seeker-sensitive churches, all that kind of thing. And then it was my job to recruit leaders. It was my job to persuade them, to convince them, to motivate them, because they were really the key to everything. And it was hard work. That's the old paradigm. The new paradigm is the tend to be prayer. We literally call that the leadership solution. So in this case, we ask the Lord of the harvest to do the hard work. We don't try to persuade people. Um, it, it changes the whole way that we think about this. We don't have to engage people in the gospel of knowledge and duty. We're going to teach you more and more, and you have this obligation and this duty Really, um, in fact, my, my friend Kenny, who's from South Texas, had all kinds of sayings. One day he said to me, uh, he said, you know, what we're doing here is we're asking Jesus to do the heavy lifting. That's exactly right. Jesus does the heavy lifting. What's our part in this process? Well, 
simply, there are really two things that we do. Number one, we pray the tend to be prayer. Um, one of the things the Lord taught us was to pray this prayer like the widow lady in Luke 18. That's probably a whole nother podcast, but you know the story. This lady keeps coming to the unrighteous judge, grant me justice against my adversary. And he keeps putting her off and putting her off and putting her off. And we don't know how many times she came to him. And finally, finally, he says, all right, lady, all right, already. I will grant your request lest you wear me out with your coming. And we felt like the Lord of the harvest, or I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit said to us, pray like that. That's what Jesus said, in fact, pray like the widow lady. And so we felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to Kenny and myself, pray as though you're going to wear God out with your coming and you can't wear God out. But that's the attitude that we're supposed to have. So we would just begin to be relentless that we were going to beseech the Lord of the harvest uh, daily, every day, praying for this. Kenny and I, by the way, ended up, we started with one week. Can we pray together every day for one week? That stretched out to six years. We prayed together, mostly on the phone, of the tend to be prayer almost every day. We might have missed 10 days in six years. And it was amazing the answers that we saw. You know, shocking, isn't it? That if you pray the prayer that Jesus tells you to pray, that it might actually get answered. But we began to see people coming to us spontaneously, uh, interested in church planting. Uh, we began to teach that to people. It turns out that there are people around the world now that are praying the tend to be prayer. Uh, it's uh, lots more we can say about that. So pray the prayer. And then number two, watch for tend to be answers. That's what we call them, tend to be answers. So we have to be, we have to learn to be what we call in the Luke 10 community, radical attention payers. As the Lord brings us these people, what we find out is they are already motivated. It's like the Lord of the harvest has he's lit a fire under them. And so discipling them, training them is really not hard at all because they are already motivated. They want to learn. Just you know, give me some tools. Uh, teach me how to do this. Totally change the whole paradigm um, of, of leadership development. So this is the revolution. This is an aspect of the revolution. And I think this is what is going on with the Duns in America. You know, 65 million Duns. I think maybe in many cases, God himself is ekbaloing people out of church. Back in the old days, that would have seemed almost sacrilegious. People, you need to go to church. But maybe it's God who is moving people out of the old paradigm of church because he's doing something new. And the Luke 10 community... Uh, we've decided to make this idea of teaching about the tend to be prayer. We make it part of our Church 101 course. Again, Church 101 is like the front door to the Luke 10 community. And lesson four in Church 101 is all about praying the tend to be answer or praying the tend to be prayer. And again, if you're interested in Church 101, just go to our website, lk10.com and uh, scroll down uh, to, to Church One, sign up for that five-week course, um, great way to get started. The second thing that we do is in our leader teams, we, we always tell tend to be stories. This whole thing is so countercultural to the way most of us as Christians were trained. But as you hear tend to be stories, dozens and dozens of them, you begin to believe that this actually works, that this actually is the leadership solution. 
And, and it's just, it changes the whole thing to be really fun to be part of this and to hear other people's stories. And that builds my faith. And I have stories. Um, we'll be telling lots of those stories in this podcast as we go on. So more on leadership solution in the future episodes. But, you know, there's nothing to stop you from starting to do what Jesus instructed even now. You don't have to know a whole lot about it. Just do what Kenny and I started doing. Begin to pray this prayer, the 10 to be prayer. You can pray it by yourself. Pray it with somebody else. Um, begin to be relentless like the widow lady in Luke 18. And then watch for answers and see what you learn. Add that other prayer that Kenny and I added, that is Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray this prayer. Again, I'll, um, uh, we'll be sharing more about leadership, the leadership solution in future episodes but this is enough to get started. So these are stories from the revolution. My name is John White, and I am delighted to be on the journey with you.